0: Now listen, don't get too comfy. This is week three. You should know by now, I want you to find someone who looks like they're having a really good time this morning and give them a big high five and say, you encourage me. Go ahead. You got 10 seconds. High five. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Grab your seats and grab a Bible. <laughs> well, I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Oh, bless his holy name. Good morning, Clear Creek. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. We are honored for you to be with us today, you need to know that this is a church that strives with all its might to introduce this city to know God and one another. And so that's what we're here for today is to give praise to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, before we get into this morning's message, I want to give just a real quick infomercial for what we're doing next week. Now, uh, I don't know if we have a slide available for this, but starting next Sunday... We're going to be doing a seven-week teaching through the book of Colossians. Colossians, it is all about Jesus. You say, what are we going to talk about? Jesus. Well, what are we going to talk about the next week? Jesus. What are we going to talk about the week after that? Jesus. Okay, so this is just kind of a constant rhythm. No matter where we are, you need to understand all of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ and what God is doing through him. And so we're going to begin that next week. Now, a couple things about that. We want you to get the most out of this series. And so over the past three or four weeks, many of us, uh, you know, Evan uh, in the office and Jake and Kim and a whole bunch of folks have helped out. We have actually produced and professionally printed books for you for this series. These are seven-week journals through the study of Colossians. Now, here's how it works. And again, I just want you to come because if you come next Sunday, you will receive. If you're an adult or if you're a younger person and you want one, you can get one. But we're going to give you a seven-week journal, and here's how it works. Inside, you'll have information. I'm sort of walking you through it, but there will be a page in there every Sunday for you to fill in notes from that Sunday. And then there will be a place for you and your small group, your community, to be able to actually study and encourage one another through the Scriptures as well as you meet. And then, every day, Monday through Friday, for seven weeks, we're going to give you a daily passage to read, and we're going to give you a simple method for Bible study. And here's what's so exciting about this. After seven weeks, by the grace of God, we pray that our church will know Jesus and love Jesus just a little bit more as a result of this time together. And so if you are, uh, you know, I don't really care where you are next week, I want you here. Because if you miss next week, you're going to miss the launch, it's going to be an important day, but we'll be doing that on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. So we're going to kind of take Sundays and Wednesdays, because we're going to cover the entire book, and it's going to be just a great time to dig into God's word together. So I hope that you will plan on being here, not only next week, but for the seven weeks that we gather on this. I want to ask you a question this morning as we dive into our text. And here's the question. It's a question I heard some years ago. And when I heard it, it was one of those questions that, that sort of just grabs you by the heart and will not let you go. Have you ever had a question like that? Uh, maybe you've had good questions where people have asked you something, and it was just a big question. Have you ever heard this question, maybe directed to you, or you've heard someone else receive this question? Three words: Will you? Whoops, four words: Marry me. I'm a Bible major, not a math major. That's a big question. Will you marry me? Or what about this question? Did you do it? Whatever it is. Now, by the way, if you're a kid, I remember years ago when I was um, probably seven, eight, nine years old, uh, the church that we just came from was the church I actually grew up uh, throughout my growing up. And like many churches back in the day, they had a second harvest food pantry. It's a place where people who did not have resources could come and receive food boxes. And um, many, many years ago, I was there with a couple friends and we had nothing to do. It was during the week. And so we decided, you know, we just explore the building? And so as we're exploring the building, I find a screwdriver, a flathead screwdriver, and we find this magical door. We didn't know that it went to the Second Harvest Food Bank, but we just knew that it was a magical door, and it was locked. And we thought, you know, I bet those hinges come off real nice. So a buddy of mine, I was seven or eight years old, we start prying the hinges off, we get one, we get two, and as we're about to get the third one, the door starts to rattle from the other side. The lock clicks, and as it swings open, I dive behind the door as it comes open, and my little buddy there, who's a couple years younger than me, I threw the screwdriver to him. It lands in his hands like this, just as one of the elder's wives opens the door, and she looks down, and he goes, she said, Marcus, did you try to pry this door open? He goes, maybe. And she said, I'm so disappointed. She said, why did you do this? And right then he stopped and he goes, Josh made me do it. (laughs) So then the question is, did you do it? Heart sinks. Oh, no, that's a big question. But I want to ask you a question that I was asked years ago, and this is one of those that when I heard it, it sort of wrecked me. here's the question. If God answered every prayer you've prayed over the last month, how many people would know Jesus Christ today? If God this past month, if he came to you today and said, hey, every prayer you've prayed, I'm going to answer those prayers, how many people, church, today would know Jesus Christ because of your prayer life? And i got to be honest, when I heard that, it was one of those moments that you go... Because I must confess, most of my prayers have historically been about me and for me, for my comfort, for my needs, for my family, and then if I'm feeling real selfless, maybe my friends. And I just became convicted that there's this call on each of us to petition the Lord of the harvest that people who are far from God would come to saving faith in Jesus. Let me just get a show of hands. How many of you? have received the gift, the free gift, the loving gift of Jesus Christ? How many of you are saved because of what Jesus did? How many of you could raise your hands this morning and say, it's because of Jesus I am alive? And, and now I'd just like to ask you, go ahead and put your hand back up, if it was because someone that you knew told you about Jesus. I mean, how many of us in here just one day said, you know, I think there might be a God, and I think it's Jesus. And I mean, how many of us came to Christ completely on our own? Not a one of us. If God answered every prayer you prayed this past month, how many people would know Jesus? Now listen, I want to be real clear. I don't say that to create any sense of guilt or shame or fear. And my goal is not that you quit what we're doing here, go home, get down on your knees, and every day rattle off a thousand names. That is not the heart of Jesus that I'm trying to communicate. But rather, my heart is simply that I think it's so easy to get distracted, but Jesus has, very, has one mission, just one. Is that we would be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until Jesus returns. And so I want us just to look at this one simple idea from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be reading in verse 35 and then through 38. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand with me as I read this passage. You say, why do we stand when we read the Scriptures? Well, the reason we stand is because we want to show honor to God's word. This word reveals Jesus Christ. It is the most sacred text ever because it points us to the most sacred, the most holy, the most awesome God. And so let me read this over us and you may look at the words as we go through this. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the men and women that you sent out into the field that shared with us the good news of Jesus. And now we, as those who've received the good news, ask that you would give us courageous hearts to pray that you'd send workers. And perhaps you would use even us as some of those who would go out and share how good our God is. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. Give us ears to hear. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I love the progression of this text. Do you notice how it kind of goes? Jesus Christ is on a speaking tour. He's going from town to town, village to village, and as he is teaching and he's talking, by the way, if you want to know what the core message of Jesus Christ is, the core message is in this passage. He's teaching and telling people about the kingdom of God, that King, God's rule, God's reign, his will being perfectly done has now broken into our space and we get to be a part of it. Now on this speaking tour, he it's, it's great. He like just does like a little breakout session on healing. And so he heals people and he heals the sick and he helps people. And it says that while he is going along, he all of a sudden sees a scene that absolutely grabs his heart heart, and, and I don't know if he's in a village, maybe he's out in a field somewhere, maybe he's on a hill someplace as he was often wont to do, and perhaps he was out there looking around and he sees these people, and it's the most incredible moment here because Jesus is going to people that everyone else said don't go to. To heal someone, he would lay hands on them, he would touch them. It was those who were unclean, who in many cases could not come into polite society because of a skin illness or some sort of disease or issue. And yet Jesus is going out of bounds to go to the, those who are out of cultural norms. He's the one who's going, he is always moving. He is the sent God. And it's an incredible thing, as he is going, his followers are walking with him, they're witnessing, they're watching, and they too then will be working in later days. Now, here's maybe just a question to consider. Our God is always on the move. Have you noticed that God is sort of always on the move in the text? He's always going from here to there, to this person, to that person. He is always on the move. He is not the God that many of us grew up with or are comfortable with. I like, and maybe you do, I like the... Little Jesus, you know, the little Jesus that you kind of pull out of your pocket, you put him where you want him. If you need something, you, you talk to little Jesus and, and he's sort of the God who always does what you want. You place him here, he doesn't go anywhere. And, and, and he's the God that maybe you put on a shelf, you take him to church. And if you don't really want to be around Jesus, you tell him to sit, to stay, good boy, and you go do what you're gonna do. You know, that little Jesus, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible refuses to stay put He is always on the move. He is constantly going. And here's maybe just a question to wrestle with. If our God is on the move, if Jesus was sent by God and his followers are going with Jesus, hear me now, if I am never going, is it possible I'm not really a follower of Jesus? To follow Jesus means we will walk with him where he goes, be with the people that he would be with, we will share the good news with the, king, with the kingdom of this earth, talk about the breaking in kingdom, and so Jesus, he's on his way, he's moving, he's talking, and then he sees the crowd. And I don't know what he saw. Maybe, you know, there are these moments where Jesus just has a way of seeing people in a way that none of us see. Have you noticed this? And I wonder what he saw, maybe because he's God, or or maybe just because he had a heart that was so in touch because of the Holy Spirit's presence. I, I don't know what it was, but maybe when he looked out, he saw marriages that were in trouble. Maybe he saw children who had just become orphans or abandoned. Maybe he saw people who just received bad diagnoses. Maybe he saw people who were wrapped with guilt because they are stuck in a secret sin. I don't know what he saw, but he saw this group of people and we're told that he had this this really big word. He had compassion on them. And I love this word, compassion. It's such a great word. It comes from this Greek word, splanknon. It's a great word, splanknon. In fact, you're going, are you sure it's a good word? Yes, I am. In fact, will you just say it with me on the count of three? We'll say splanknon. You ready? You say, why are we doing this? Because I want you to be awake and engaged. That's why. Preacher trick here, okay? One, two, three, splankton. And here's what that word means. It's the Greek word. It comes from the Greek word talking about a liver. Jesus felt liver? Yes. In the ancient world, in the East, if you were to ask them, where does the seat of emotion lie? In the West, we would say, what body organ, hint, do we talk about referring to our emotions, the heart, the little blood pumper, which is kind of a weird thing to say to your wife on Valentine's Day, baby, I love you from the bottom of my little blood pumper. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But for them, it's not the blood pumper, it's the liver. You say, why? Because it is the center point of their being. Here's the point. Compassion is not some simply uh, sort of superficial feeling, oh, I feel sorry, or oh, that's so sad, or oh, my. Compassion comes from the core of our being. Jesus Christ, when he looks at you, he does not just go, oh, that stinks for you, oh, uh well, boy, I hope it works out. From the core of his being, he breaks for people. It says he looked and he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I'm going to guess that most people in here are not shepherds. Do we have any shepherds in the house this morning? Anyone who's been to a petting zoo, perhaps, and you've seen a sheep. We've got a few more hands there. How many of you, maybe just as a child, you grew up, in, or you're a parent, and you've read some little storybook, and there was a sheep in it? Any of you even seen a sheep on TV? We'll just kind of get real low. Anyone's sheep. Here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are not the brightest of animals, are they? They're, they're a little bit dumb. I mean, they're just not very smart at all. And so sheep need a shepherd, someone who will show them where to go. One of my favorite psalms, and perhaps yours as well, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my Shepherd, the Lord knows me, he loves me, he walks with me, he leads me. A good shepherd would show the sheep where to eat. Now when you and I think about grazing areas perhaps like me, you're you're sort of a westerner in your mindset and you think about these lush hills, green. But when an ancient person heard of a shepherd leading a sheep to good places to eat, they did not think of this green valley. Rather, they thought of a treacherous wilderness, but there were outcroppings of shoots of grass, maybe under a ledge where there's some coolness and some water that would drip down to nourish it, and a good shepherd would find the places for the sheep to eat, and it would be enough, hear this, does it sound familiar, enough for their daily bread. He would lead them, and then he would lead them beside streams of water, and we think, oh, isn't that cute? No, it's not cute, because here's the thing, sheep, again, are dumb, and they would often, if they were left alone, they would find an area with water, but they would get too close to the water, and I don't know if you've ever seen wool when it gets wet, but it gets heavy. How many of you have been swimming before maybe in a pair of jeans or, or have you ever, you know, you get in the water and all of a sudden it's just boom! Sheep, if they got too close to a raging water, they would get sort of wet and they'd start to lose their footing and they'd be like, Bye, and then down the stream they needed a good shepherd who would show them the safe places to drink who would get them say here food drink lay down a shepherd is necessary for sheep to survive and Jesus looked and he said i see a bunch of sheep they need a shepherd so he had compassion on them by the way where does your compassion come from what drives it here's a question go ahead and put this up on screen Maybe when you're thinking about to go into the field, maybe one question is simply this first one. Put this up here, please. What brokenness in the world breaks your heart? When you see people around you, what groups of people, when you see the brokenness, that just kind of jives with your heart? And maybe you're saying, I don't know. Well, here's a good way to sort of identify it. Are you ready? What gets you angry? What gets you just sort of get your righteous anger going? When you see a particular issue, sin, or situation, where do you see yourself just kind of going, that's not right, someone must do something? Chances are that may be an indicator where your heart is, where your compassion is, where God is wiring you to go in because you understand that although it is one big field, it is far too large for any one of us to reach all people. And so God has wired you with certain situations and experiences that you might use those to propel you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about it this week. My wife and I are very, very different in some ways. Now, you just need to know, and if you've met Lindsay, you already know this, i married way above me. She is a gift from God. She is just a tremendous woman. There are things that she's experienced that are different from me. And so there are some people that I may be able to reach that she can't. There are other people my wife will reach that I will never reach. My wife was a French and English major in college. She's much smarter, much, much smarter than me. And I remember about, what was it, three years ago, uh, two, three years ago, where we lived, there was this playground right across the street. So I'd take my son, my daughter, we'd go out there, we'd swing, do whatever else. I guess Emma was a little too young at this time, but Stephen and I were out there and we're pushing on the swings. And, and it's one of the great evangelism fields a playground because you've got kids with other kids, adults, and usually dads who are either on their phone, kind of pushing their kid like this. <laughs> They're not doing anything so you can talk. <laughs> and so I saw this dad with a little boy and I said, hey, uh, introduce myself. We started talking and he had this great accent. I said, where are you from? And he said, well, we just so happen to be from France. But we're here now, and we're living across the street, and so we start talking. Now, my wife learns about this, and her little French antenna goes, bah, 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 bah. she gets excited about it. She starts to evangelize more to the mom, and, and they start to explore faith. There are people that, because of your experiences, God will be able to help reach because of you. What broke us in the world breaks your heart. And the second thing that happens here, do you notice what motivates Jesus? It's that they were harassed and helpless. They just had, they needed help. They needed help. And so maybe the next question is simply this, where or when in your story were you harassed and helpless? Do you remember a time maybe? Where was that moment where you, you just could not do it on your own? Maybe it was before you came to faith or maybe you were already a Christ follower but you went through that dark season, that dark moment. You lost a job, you lost a spouse, you lost a friend. You, you, you made some woefully bad decisions and you're just going, I don't know what to do. And, and in that moment, in that moment, in that moment, in God's grace, he came to you and he brought someone, he helped you, he healed you. Where was that moment that you were harassed and helpless? Here's what I know. It is often in our greatest pain that God reveals what will become our greatest passion for him. In the moments where things have completely broken, that is often where he then says, this will become the beginning of your testimony. The moment when everything fell apart, you thought it was all over, you'll see my hand at work. And in years to come, you will point back to that moment. And as you find people in similar situations, you'll say, let me tell you about a God who met me when I needed a friend. Church. What this means though is we've got to get better at sharing our scars. Have you noticed Christians are really good at looking good on Sunday? In fact, this morning I just want to show you something. I'm really proud of this. You may not be able to see from here, but um, I've got matching socks on this morning. I'm really kind of excited about that because sometimes I'm not the most thoughtfully dressed person. But you know, I got matching clothes. I, I got I've got a pressed shirt. I got the iron out. I did. Why I'm at church. We look good when we come to church. Now, I know some of you are going, look, dude, I don't look good, and this is the best it gets. Okay, fine. Okay, there's always the exception. But have you noticed that when we're together, we always try to put on our best and often try to pretend that we don't have any worst? The people who have been greatest impact in my life are often those who did not live perfect lives but showed me that imperfect people can be healed by a perfect God. Church, can we just be people who not try to hide our scars, but like our Savior, thrust out our hands and say, let me show you, resurrection is possible, that God can work through any circumstance. Because that is when he will begin to change things for all of us. And so Jesus, he shows up, he sees these people, and he then says this to his followers. And isn't it interesting that compassion propels us to action? Compassion propel us to action because he then says to his followers, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. Isn't it interesting that this is part of God's mission plan? That part of God's plan is actually to pray for, we, for us to be praying people, that we would open our mouths, that we beg God, that we petition him, and some way he would work in and through our prayers that we would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send people into the field. What's incredible to me is how prayer is intended to be our first response, not our last resort. It's the first thing we do, not the last thing that we do And here's why I think it's so important, because it's easy to drift from the one mission that God has given every one of us. You understand, I'm not really a preacher. That's not my job. My job is to be a disciple of Jesus. Your job is not to be an engineer. It's to be a disciple of Jesus. Your job is not to be a homemaker. It is to be a disciple of Jesus. Your job is not to be a lawyer because no one's job is to ever be a lawyer. Just kidding. It is to be a disciple of Jesus. Your job is not to be an accountant. Your job is not to be a teacher. Your job is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to do what Jesus did, to say what Jesus said, to go where Jesus went, to be a disciple means we will help others know Jesus as Jesus helped us know him. That is our job. And so he says, you pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's why you're here. That is the reason that God has given you breath in your lungs. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Think with me for a moment here. At the moment you were saved, when you came up out of the baptismal waters, you went, woo, and you said, yay, Jesus. If God's sole purpose was to get you to heaven, why didn't he beam you up like on Star Trek at that moment? Because his primary goal for you is not that you just get to heaven. It's that you would be a disciple maker so all the earth, as Habakkuk 2 would say, is filled with the praise of the glory of God like the oceans cover the sea, the world. That's why you're here. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. And I love this. this uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was... <clears throat> Just convicted over this. So I was praying, God, today, give me opportunity to talk to someone about you. Just just give me an opportunity. And got up, got the kids ready. They go off to school. I decide the office isn't going to open for a little while. So I go over to, a star, to Starbucks down here. I get my uh, cup of um, overpriced coffee. But my daughter gave me a, a, a Starbucks card for my birthday. So I used it, took a little picture like, hey, babe. And so got that to her. But I get here. I go to Starbucks. I'm sitting there and I put my earbuds in because I'm like, well, I got to study. I got things to do. I kind of and I start to study. And someone who had met the previous day comes over and like taps me on the shoulder, and I'm like, oh, hi, and I say his name, and we talk for a second, and I'm like, I'm, and I keep giving the nonverbal hint, you know, the nonverbal hint, like, leave me alone. By the way, if you're in, in an airplane, if you, even though you're not a minister, if you don't want the person next to you to talk to you, and they ask you, what do you do? Just say, hey, you're a preacher. They won't talk to you, it's amazing, okay? But I'm sitting there and this person keeps kind of engaging and I keep trying to put the earbuds back in and then it hits me. God answering my prayer. And I wasn't ready to listen. So I did maybe what you've done. I just had that moment inside, little quiet internal prayer. Lord, forgive me. Thank you for answering. I pulled him out. We sat down and he began to vomit up things about life, things that were going on. He is a single dad due to circumstances and his little girl and what's going on and how to deal with it and how to do. Pray. It's amazing. God won't only send workers. He'll actually bring the harvest field to you. Pray to the Lord of the Harvest family. And believe that he actually might work if you pray. I think that's where we need to stop this morning. So I want to ask you to take out your bulletin and on the back of it, I want you to jot down just a couple things. We're about to take a moment to respond and I'm going to invite you to pray something here as we go into this time. And I'm going to give you a moment here after we write these down before Paul comes to sing and lead us in this invitation song. I'm going to give us a moment of silence where we're going to bow our heads and I'm going to invite you to yourself or lean over to a friend or to a spouse. You can pray together. It's okay. We're family. But I want to invite you to pray about four things. And I'm going to just ask you to jot one, two, three, four on your page. You don't have to write out the whole question. Just write out the answer. Here's the first thing. As you pray this morning, would you thank God? By name, for the person or people who he sent to save you. When you were harassed and helpless, who is the person or people that God came and sent to you? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, a teacher, a coach, a coworker. Maybe it's that dude at the gym who always makes you look bad on the treadmill, but he just stopped and he talked to you. Whatever. Who is that person? Would you thank God for the person that years ago he prepared for to come to you? Second question, would you pray to the Lord of the harvest now to send workers into the field? Would you say, God, would you give me a heart? Would you give others a heart? Would you give me eyes? Would you give others eyes? Would you please send people into the harvest field. By the way, on that note, just for what it's worth, we're coming into harvest season here, aren't we? There's certain fruit that are ready for harvest, certain vegetables that are ready for harvest, but the harvest season does not last forever. There is a window. Pray that God would prompt people, maybe even us in this very room, to go in the season when we can. Did you realize that right after Jesus tells them to pray this the very next chapter Matthew 10 he then sends the 12 out to do what he's just prayed to God for God may use you to be the answer to your own prayer family Here's the third thing Pray for someone by name who needs Jesus Pray for someone by name who needs Jesus who's that friend that coworker maybe it's that family member maybe it's that parent maybe it's that child I was thinking about it this week, that one of the prayers that I pray for my children is not only for their salvation, but that God would send them into the field. I remember when my sister Megan was about six, seven years old. She's older than I am. She's just a godly woman. I remember when she got this heart to go into missions, and she just began to talk about it and pray for it, and her heart was to go overseas to China. And I remember my parents being so incredible that they did not pray against God's calling on her life, but in t- with tears in their eyes, they prayed, God, she is yours. She's not ours. You take her wherever you need her. Would you pray that God would send? Would you pray now for someone who needs to know Jesus? And then the fourth thing is simply this Would you ask God, How might I be the answer to the prayer that I just prayed? How might I be the answer to the prayer that I just prayed? And so we're going to give you about 20, 30 seconds. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to ask the guys to kill some of the lights back here, similar to during communion. And we're just going to sort of pause. We're going to just let you marinate in this. But if you want, grab the hand of someone next to you. But will you go ahead for just a moment and ask God these things and trust that he will do what he promises to do? Father, with one voice, as one church, we thank you for the men and women throughout history who have been the answer to this prayer, who have had the courage to share. And although the names are a mystery to us, we thank you for the unbroken line of faithfulness that came to us and now sits with us today, and I pray that you would Give us the courage to both pray the prayer and to follow you into the fields, even this very day, so that one day heaven will be more full and the praise of your glory will resound all the more. We thank you for saving us, Jesus. It's in your name that we all pray, amen.